All right. So I thought we were finished with our series on the Ten Commandments because we looked at the Tenth Commandment last week. But throughout the week, I kept thinking that we needed to wrap things up. It was, it was Thursday morning. Um, we had just finished discipleship course Wednesday night, and, and I was about to start prepping for Sunday, and, and I didn't really know where I was going. I was just like, I don't know what to preach on this Sunday. We're in between sermon series. We're going to start a series in Advent next week. We just finished up the Ten Commandments. What can I possibly throw into the middle here that would be helpful? And, and I was wrestling, going back and forth. I'm praying. I'm sitting there. I'm looking at my Bible. Thursday morning turns into Thursday afternoon, and I'm like, i got to figure this out because Sunday's coming. And, and I just kind of was struck. I'm like, you know what? Like, there were a lot of really important themes that emerged over the course of these last few months that I just felt like we needed to kind of review. And so back in September, when we introduced the series, I said that freedom is best expressed not so much in doing whatever we want, but rather in becoming what we've always been intended to be. Right? Freedom is best expressed not so much in doing whatever we want, but rather in becoming what we have always been intended to be. I quoted one Old Testament scholar, Carmen Joy Imes, and she said that true freedom requires clearly communicated boundaries, and Israel's laws are the boundaries within which life can flourish. See, the goal for Israel was to be a people who lived as representatives of Yahweh, representatives of Yahweh, displaying to the world the glory of humanity. Yes, the glory of God, but also the glory of humanity. What is man that you are mindful of him, Psalm 8 says. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. See, there's something about us as those who bear the image of God as those specifically who bear the name of God, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, there is a glory to us, a glory that has been marred and disrupted by sin, but a glory nonetheless, especially for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, the people of God, that we reflect now the glory of God to the world around us. But there is a glory that he has given us. And it's our role to teach the world, and it was Israel's role, to teach the world what exactly is humanity supposed to be like. In fact, it was the role of Adam in the garden to eventually spread that glory throughout the earth, to, to break the barriers of the garden so that the garden would spread throughout all of creation. But, but he failed to do that. We know the story. We're not going to go back there again this morning. But that was the call of Israel. What we learn from the scriptures is that humanity is supposed to look a certain way, bear a particular image, and reflect a specific sort of glory. And the law of God was and still is the manner in which that way, image, and glory is revealed to the world around us. And so we know how the story goes, but we also know how the story ends, which is where we're heading this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus 20. And let's take a look at verses 1 and 2 again, something that we looked at a number of weeks ago, if not two months ago. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. And the text says this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
The commandments began with God reminding his people what he had done for them. He had saved them from the hands of Pharaoh. He freed them from the chains of slavery. And everything that he was about to require of them was grounded in their salvation and in their newly found freedom. It was grounded in their salvation and their newly found freedom. That's what's going on here. We've talked about this. We know this, but, but I think it's important as, as a teacher, right? I, I taught for many years that review matters, right? You need to review things because life goes on. We forget what we've learned or, or maybe it just gets shuffled around and it's not at the tip of our tongue. And so I think it's important that we remind ourselves of these things. There, these, these commandments were grounded in their salvation and their newly found freedom. And throughout the course of our time, one of the themes that we're going to talk about that kept on coming up was this idea of freedom. And I quoted one scholar who described the commandments as what? Rules for the liberated life. Rules for the liberated life. The Israelites were no longer slaves, but all they knew were chains. They were no longer slaves, but all they knew were chains. In fact, they had grown so accustomed to their chains that when life wasn't going exactly how they were hoping, they started crying to Moses, telling him that they wanted to go back to Egypt, back to slavery. Why? Because this was where they were most comfortable. This is where they were most comfortable. But see, God had plans for this liberated nation, plans to not only shape and form them into what they were created for, but to show all of humanity what they were created for. So it wasn't just about them. It was about this missionary movement that was supposed to expand outward. Remember, freedom is best expressed not so much in doing whatever we want, but rather in becoming what we have always been intended to be. And the law of God provides a roadmap for that very destination. Right? First thing is that, that, that is talked about in, in the Ten Commandments, that to worship other gods or to bow down to false idols, especially gods and idols that demand so much from us. Like, What are the gods and idols of our day? Pleasure, sexuality, individualism, consumerism, productivity. These things make horrible gods. They make horrible gods. They do not save and liberate, but rather when worshiped and made into ultimate things, they enslave and destroy us. The latter half of the commandments, those horizontal commandments, honoring one's parents, murder, adultery, stealing, lying, and covenant, these commandments, when honored, they produce communities where life is able to flourish where life is able to flourish. And ultimately, this roadmap to freedom, it forms communities, it forms individuals, which thereby make up communities that are postured towards God and others. Communities that are postured toward God and others. And so the point is that freedom was never about autonomy, but rather it was always about and still is about forming a people who love God and because of their love for God, Love those around them more than themselves. This has always been the point. This is like one of the overarching themes of the scriptures, this self-denial for, for the sake of God and others. It's, it's the theme that stretches throughout the entire Bible, which leads to another theme we came back to a few times throughout the series, reliable community. And I think this one is probably more difficult than we realize. As Americans, we're individualistic by nature. 
So much so that even our understanding of Christianity has been shaped by this, these personal relationships that, that we are so, so bent on. Now, don't get me wrong, a personal relationship with Jesus is massively important, but it is not the ultimate overarching point of the Bible. No, the story of God and the story of Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross is the ultimate story of the Bible. Not me personally and myself. We benefit from that. 100% we benefit from that. Right? That's why theologians refer to our salvation, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification as benefits of the gospel. But they are not the gospel. The gospel is the story of Jesus. That's why those four books at the beginning of the New Testament are called the gospels, because they are giving us the good news about this person and work of Jesus, which we get to benefit from. We're heirs to that story. Right? In the same way, if, if, if you happen to come from a wealthy family and, 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 and you get an inheritance, you're heirs. But your, your inheritance isn't the point of the story. You just happen to be a benefit of the story. And so that's what we are as followers of Jesus. Important, but not the point. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4 as we talk a little bit about reliable community. Look at verse 32 through 37. And it starts like this. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were telling them what they saw. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of the lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What I find so compelling about this passage is the fact that there was not a needy person among them. There's not a needy person among them. They were living in the midst of what we are talking about, this reliable community. But right before that, it says that grace was upon them all. Grace was upon them all. This community of faith was so enveloped in the grace of God, the grace that saved them from their sins, the grace that was secured through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and from the grace and the love that they received from God... A reliable community of faith was birthed, and there was not a needy person among them. Not a needy person among them. This is the story of the church. This is the story of those early days of the church. And the beauty of, of this community of faith, and, and the beauty of this community of faith, to, to be perfectly honest with us, this community of faith, Redeemer Fellowship, is a community that... I know I can rely on, and I know the people in this church have come to know that they can rely on one another, that we are caring for one another. Why? Because we have tasted the goodness and grace of God. We have tasted the goodness of grace of God. See, the people of Israel were recipients of that same sort of grace and love when they were liberated from Egypt. And now God was teaching them how to live in light of that grace and love, how to cultivate a community of freedom, of reliability, of self 
giving love. That's what it was always about. That's what it was always about. And we know how the story goes. We know that they, they did not necessarily thrive in that endeavor, in that vocation. Honestly, if we look at Acts chapter 5, there were many who didn't thrive in that endeavor either. Because the story of Ananias and Sapphira show up and, and, and there's this event that happens where, where they're seen to be, to, be, to be stealing from God or robbing from the Holy Spirit and, and a bad thing sort of happens. But, but, but it's always the temptation to not walk in the love that we have received. It's always a temptation. But this is what the rules of the, liber- for the liberated life teach us. They show us how to walk in freedom, how to walk in a manner that's going to demonstrate love and mercy to those around us, which ends up being the means by which the world catches a glimpse of what God is like as they look at this strange community that is giving to one another, serving one another, loving one another to their own hurt. They're looking around being like, well, what's going on in that pocket of the world? I don't get it. I don't understand. Oh, they love one another. They love one another. They're not not shooting at each other. They're not trying to hurt one another. They're not backbiting one another. There's forgiveness in that community. What's, What's up with that? What's up with that, right? This is why we do need to be so careful when when disagreements start to emerge, that we deal with them accordingly that we don't allow them to, to drive division and, and wedges into this reliable community that God has forged in our midst. We have to be so careful of that. And what was the hope for this newly liberated nation, this reliable community of faith? That they would not take the name of the Lord their God in vain. Or as we learned, that they would not carry the name of the Lord their God in vain. If we remember back, This commandment was not about using God's name as a curse, nor was it about accidentally saying God instead of gosh, but rather this commandment was about something that we talk about week in and week out, showing the world what God is like. Showing the world what God is like. Remember the call of Abraham and what God told him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Israel was birthed for the very purpose of revealing God to the world. This is what it meant for them to be a blessing. And the ten words or the ten commandments, when faithfully upheld, show onlookers what a community marked by the name of Yahweh looks like, and it is a community of love. Is a community of love. And the sort of love we're talking about, because that term itself, right, is, is used in so many ways. And, and, and we've heard it said, right, like I love pizza or I love music or I love this, that, or the other thing. I love going to art shows. I, whatever the case may be, that's not the sort of love we're talking about. The sort of love we're talking about is the love that is manifested in the person and work of King Jesus who gave of himself for the sake of others. It's that kind of love. And we need to be careful that we don't start mixing terms and, and, and start believing that, that love is just like, you know, whatever we want it to mean. It means something. It actually has a specific meaning, and we're going to continue to wrestle with that. If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, another passage that we often go back to. If you remember when we went through the book of Philippians, we referred to this section as the master story is the master story, because it reveals to us and it teaches us 
Honestly, if, if we had nothing other than Philippians 2, we would actually be okay. Now, don't get me wrong. I love all the other books of the Bible. But Philippians 2 is, is, is a wonderful summary and beautiful picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And starting in, in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by, being, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Verse 10, so that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That section starts out with us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Put on Christ. Look to the ultimate pattern of what love is. And, and, and embody that. Why? So that every knee might bow. From every tribe and every tongue and every nation. We are the means by which God is revealing Christ to the world. That's what's going on here. We embody that master story so that the world sees Christ. That's always been the point, and it still is the point, and will be the point until he returns. That is our job. That was Israel's job. It's why they were given the law, and it's our job, and it's why we've been given Christ and the Spirit of God, so that we might reveal to the world the person and work of Christ, bearing the name, bearing the name. That's what it means when, when, when the Ten Commandments say, do not take the Lord's name in vain. It means the name you carry, the name of Jesus, represent him well. Represent him well. How? By loving God and loving neighbor. By loving God and loving neighbor. Well, then we might ask, well, well, well what does it matter then if I, if I participate in sin that just, you know, that just affects me, Right? What does it matter if I'm in my room by myself and, and you know, fill in the blank, right? Whatever. Like, what does it matter? Those are, those are personal sins. It doesn't affect the community. But that's just not true, and we know that. Because none of us are, are an island unto ourselves. And so even the sin that we participate, that we think in our minds, doesn't affect anyone else, is forming and shaping us. And, and turning us into something that isn't of God. And so holiness does matter because holiness affects our ability to love God and to love neighbor. It matters. And now we don't want it to matter because we don't want to be told what to do in the privacy of our home, in the privacy of our own relationships. But, but whatever we do forms and shapes us. And are we being formed and shaped into the image of Christ or are we being formed and shaped into something different? Because it's only the image of Christ that's going to be able to love God and neighbor in a way that reflects who God is and in a way that actually enables us to flourish. Because I even think back to, to sins that I maybe participated in as a child and, and, and guess what? They affected me. I know they didn't affect anyone else at the time, but, but they did, right? Because I brought those sins into my, into my marriage. I brought those sins into, into, into my life after and, and everything else that I do. It, it matters. 
And we all know it as we're sitting here. We're sitting here thinking like, yeah, I, I, I did mess up those few times. I did do that. And, and it's, actually, it's actually affecting the way I, I view women or the way I view men or the way I view my children, the way I view life. or the way, and, and it matters. It matters. It affects the way we love God and love neighbor. And we have to recognize that. We can't pretend that, that if, if I'm not hurting someone, that it's going to be okay because the reality is you are hurting someone. You're hurting yourself, and then you're hurting yourself, and that means you're not able to function in the way that you need to function as an ambassador of Christ in this world. That's just, it just is what it is, right? And we need to accept that. But, but we also need to understand that, right, while these, these rules for the liberated life place restrictions on us, they're actually the path, as we've talked about so often, to freedom, to, to a life that, that actually flourishes. There's no shame in, in the life of God. There's no embarrassment. There's no like, oh my gosh, I, I hope no one finds out about that as we walk with Jesus. It's the means by which we flourish. And that's just true because we've experienced it and, and the scripture teaches it to be so. But we know from experience that when we're walking in obedience, life is better. That doesn't mean life is easy. Right? We need to be careful. It doesn't mean that we will prosper in all that we do and that we'll, you know, our bank accounts, that's not what it means. But it does mean that we will flourish in our relationship with God. We will draw near to Christ and we will be able to love one another more fully. Right? That's just true. And we know it. We know it's true. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. I told you, this is very review, right? We're, we're covering a lot of themes that we looked at over the last number of weeks. And I don't say that to apologize. How about that? So I want to close out the sermon this morning, like not right this second, but as we draw to a close, by looking at a short passage in Paul's letter to the church at Rome and a, and a little bit of context Paul is closing out a section that began in chapter 12. And it's a section on how to live in light of the salvation we have in Christ. In other words, Romans 1 through 11, or 1 through 11, unpack the details and story of the work of Christ, how that work is applied to us by grace through faith. And then in chapters 12 through 14, we're kind of given a law. We're kind of given a law, or as we've been talking about for the last few months, the Apostle Paul provides us with some rules for the liberated life. Notice the pattern, though, right? Even just to kind of detour a little bit. Chapters 1 through 11 is about the story of Christ, our salvation, and then he gets into the law. Remember, we're set free first. Our salvation is not dependent. Our freedom is not dependent upon us keeping the law. No, we're saved, and then he's like, go, do the law now, and do it, do it in, in grace, and do it by the power of the Spirit. But it's not how we're brought into the kingdom of God. We're brought into the kingdom through the person and work of Jesus, and then we're instructed to walk in light of that salvation. The, the immediate context here in chapter 13, Paul is instructing this community faith, 
in how they ought to relate to the state or to the government. And at the end of that section, he talks specifically about paying taxes and paying to all what is owed to them. In other words, followers of Jesus are to be trustworthy. We, we pay our debts. But then he does this thing because he's just a literary genius and, and where he uses this category of debt to shift towards something else. And, and verses 8 through 9 says this. It says, Owe no one anything or, or do not be indebted to anyone for anything. For the one who loves another, except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So a couple of things. Right? He issues this command. He says, owe no one anything, or do not be indebted to anyone for anything. So he picks up on this debt language that he was just talking about, the practical side of things, like pay your debts, be trustworthy, and then he, and then he shifts, right? He says, be, don't, do not be in debt to anyone for anything except, there's an exception, right? There's good debt, right? And, and even in life, we know there's good debt, right? Like if you, if you borrow money uh, to maybe start a business, right? And there's going to be some return on that investment. If you borrow money to purchase a home for a mortgage or something like that, that's good debt. Or, or maybe to, to go to school, that's good debt. Now, there's bad debt, right? We don't borrow money because we want to buy like a Lamborghini or we don't borrow money because we want to, you know, go on that really great vacation that we can't afford, right? There's good debt and bad debt. He's talking about good debt right now, except there's one piece of debt that every single follower of Jesus must retain. Like we don't pay off this debt ever. We hold on to it. And that is to love one another to love one another. And then he explains why. Because love for one another fulfills the law. And then he partially cites the Ten Commandments, and he says that the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself sums up or brings together the entirety of the law. In other words, the entire law of God, all 613 commandments, they all had one purpose, to form and shape a people marked by self-sacrificial love for others. That was the purpose. That was the purpose, to form and shape a people marked by self-sacrificial love for others. It says this in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And so the section closes out by saying that love does no wrong to a neighbor. In other words, the church is to be a community of faith where people feel safe, cared for, and free. Where we feel safe, cared for, and free. Where we are safe, cared for, and free. That we enter into the midst of this place with this people here at Redeemer Fellowship and we're not concerned that we're going to be taken advantage of that we're going to be abused. We're not concerned for that because it's a community marked by self-sacrificial love. We're not concerned that if we lose our job, we're going to become destitute because we're a community marked by self-sacrificial love. That has to be who we are because that's what it means to embody the love of God in Christ Jesus. It has to be who we are. And it, and it is. I, don't, like, I want to make sure. I'm not condemning us here. 
I, I, I look at our church, I, I, I feel like I have to say this because I've been, I've been to way too many sermons where, where we're just, we just feel like beaten up and, and I don't want us to feel beaten up. I want us to feel encouraged. I want us to feel challenged too. I don't want us to just feel good about ourselves and be like, yeah, we're doing great. This is great. You know, I want us to feel challenged and, and to look at our lives and see like, okay, where, where is this not happening in my life? Where, where, where is the Spirit of God kind of pushing me and challenging me to, to, to change a little bit? But but, but on a whole, we, we, you know, Courtney prayed for it earlier this morning. Like, this is a family of God that loves one another. It really is. And, and every visitor that comes in, the thing they always say is like, man, you guys are so friendly. Like, you really love each other, huh? And we're like, yeah, we, we do. We kind of like, we, we kind of like being together. Even, even when we share COVID with one another, we're into it. Like, we share everything, right? That's who we are. He says, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And, and, and that's the main point of this section. When you see a therefore, it, it's, it's the, the, the author is bringing something to a close. He's making some sort of culminating point. And what Paul wants his readers to understand is that if they are to claim or carry the name of Jesus, then they must be a community marked by self-sacrificial love for anyone who crosses their path. Owe no one anything except to love each other. I think sometimes we, we, we try to make the argument that, well, he's talking to the church, so it's like it's a matter of loving the church, right? But he says, owe no one anything. And he just got done talking about paying your taxes to, to people outside of the church and paying your debts to people outside of the church. That debt of love, it's owed to anyone who crosses our path. That debt of love is owed to anyone who crosses our path. And so the questions we need to wrestle with are, what are we known for? What are we, Redeemer Fellowship, known for? When people see you coming, what sort of conversation are they expecting? Are they readying a defense, or do you bring a sense of calm with you, a sense of peace with you? Are your words cutting and sarcastic, or are you gracious and caring? Do people know more about our political convictions than they do about our Savior? Turn with me to John chapter 13. And let's look at verse 31. John chapter 13. It's the fourth gospel. Verse 31. He says this, Jesus is teaching. He says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He's talking about his ascension. He's talking about when he dies on the cross, rises, and eventually leaves. Then he says this in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus commands his disciples to love each other. And it's that same sort of love, that agape sort of love, that self-sacrificial love. 
And then he says, love them in the same way I have loved you. Now, at that point, Jesus hasn't died yet. But he certainly has lived a life that was shaped by the kingdom. He certainly has lived a life where he tangibly loved those around him. We know the stories of Jesus, the people he hung out with, the people he literally touched with his hands that no one else would encounter, that sort of love that was willing to to appear shameful for the sake of others, the kind of love Jesus walked with, the kind of love where people would would look and say, like, like, bro, you see who he's hanging out with? Like, I don't... I don't know what kind of guy that is, but, but you know, something's going on there because look at his friends. Yeah, he was hanging out with prostitutes. He was hanging out with lepers. He was hanging out with, right? And, and we can just keep filling in the blanks of the sort of people that Jesus spent time with. And see, he wasn't concerned that their reputation was going to get on him. He wasn't concerned about that. He was concerned about demonstrating tangible love to these people. And so he says, love others that way, where you don't regard yourself higher than them. The same kind of love that Philippians 2 talks about. Love people that way. But, but also, as, as we read back into the story, knowing what Jesus did, it's also that cross-shaped love. Remember, as, as we say here often, we're not just forgiven by the cross, but we're formed by the cross. We're to be a cross-shaped people, meaning that we enter into the mess of others so that they might sense some relief. That's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. It's the kind of love he's telling us to carry with us. And that's how we bear the name of God. That's how we show the world what he's like when we love like that. Remember, loving your neighbor fulfills the law. It fulfills the law. His love was kingdom-oriented, it was tangible, and it was sacrificial. You knew what drove his love, you experienced his love, and you saw what his love cost. Is this the sort of love that marks us as followers of Jesus? Is this the sort of love? When Paul tells the church in Rome that love is the fulfilling of the law, that love has a name. And his name is Jesus. And he died so that we might be freed from our enslavement to sin, but not just freed from, but freed for a life that embodies the very love that saved us, a kingdom-oriented, tangible, and sacrificial love that enters into the lives of others so that they might also know and experience that very same love. That's what this entire series has been about. That's the entire point of the Ten Commandments. It's why God tells us to honor our father and our mother to not murder, to not commit adultery, to not steal, to not bear false witness, to not covet. Because all of those things, and, and, and even more importantly, that we might love the Lord our God with all of our heart, that we might not bow down to false idols, that we might not take the name of the Lord in vain, that we would remember the Sabbath, because our entire lives are to be structured around 
the person and work of Christ. And that's what that law was getting at. That's what it's always been about. And only then, when we, when we structure our entire lives around Christ, that every single facet of our life, whether it's our work life, whether it's our marriage, whether it's us as a student, whether it's us as a child in a parent-daughter-son relationship, whatever the case may be, are we structuring it around the person and work of Christ so that we might live in such a way that reflects who he is to the world around us? That's the calling that was placed upon Israel and it's the calling that Christ fulfilled and it's the calling that has been placed upon us and applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's good news, Redeemer. That's good news. The fulfillment of the law is love. The fulfillment of the law is love. I think I banged away that main point right there over the last however many minutes. I don't think this was a long one. That's what we're called to. Because Christ first loved us. Because Christ first loved us. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised to new life so that we might walk in freedom. Sins forgiven. So that we might meet him face to face one day. That's the whole point. That's it. I think that's all I have for this morning. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together. So let's go before the Lord. Father, Lord, we love you. We really do. And, and we thank you for the grace that you lavish upon us, Lord God. You really do. You, you pour it out. You pour it out in a way that's, that's just undeserved. It's, it's overwhelming, Lord God. And, and I just ask, Lord God, that we would truly be a people that is marked by your love, by your grace, by your mercy, by your compassion that people would look at us and they would be curious what's different about them so that we can give a reason for the hope that's within us, Lord God. Help us to love as Christ has loved us, Lord God, to sacrificially give of ourselves, to serve one another, to serve those in our communities, in our jobs, in our schools, wherever we might find ourselves, Lord God. Help us to be those people, Lord. Father, we love you with all of our hearts. We thank you for the gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.